Selena. I'm also slightly <laughs> sleepy, Corey. <laughs> Bedtime story, Corey. Bedtime story, Corey. And we are here with a very... Uh, actually, how should I introduce you? Because I know you as a bunch of different names, but I want to go by your sex work name, if that's okay. Uh, just Spencer, but also slightly sleepy. Slightly so. sleepy, expensive Spencer. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> Every episode, we begin with the segment we call Historical Hose. And this week's historical ho is Nanje. So I got my information from Wikipedia, per usual, and AsianHistoryBlog.blogspot.com, Nanje, Korean heroine. So uh, yeah, this is my best rendition of Korean pronunciations. Um, apologies ahead of time, but I'm going to run through it. So Nanje was born in 1574 in Daegakri, area of Jiangsu. Born to Judal Moon and Mrs. Park, Nun Jae was a late-born child to the couple, whose son died at 15. When she was four, her father died, and her extended family plotted to take her, wanting to make her the wife of a male heir. Her mother soon found out and stole her away, but was caught and jailed. Her trial was overseen by province officer or official Choi Kyung-kwe, who ruled on behalf of her innocence. Nanje, seeing that she had no place to go and no family to trust, at the age of 17, became Choi Kyung Kui's concubine and lived in his house. In 1592, Japanese forces invaded the Korean peninsula in the Imjin War, during which official Choi, Nanje's husband, was assassinated. Afterwards, the Japanese eventually succeeded in their invasion of Suyong Fortress, now near uh, Jinju area. To celebrate the victory, soldiers forced all the Kiseng female entertainers to serve them at the Chokseongnyu pavilion on a cliff that overlooks the Nam River. Nanje was called to entertain the victorious Japanese generals alongside the other Kisang. And of course, this is super controversial if you are at all aware of the geopolitical tension between Japan and Korea. This shit has been going on for so long. Fucking 1500s, are you kidding me? Anyway, so she led uh, the general, Kiyamaru, or, uh, Kiyamura uh, Roku. Rokusuke to the cliffside where she embraced him, clasping her fingers with rings that locked her around him and cast herself along with a general into the river, killing them both. Oh my god. It is said that she sacrificed herself not only in revenge for her husband's murder, but also out of love for her country. Yeah. However, this story is highly dubious and it is most likely to have originated from Bak Jonghua's Nunje and Gaiwal uh, Young. So I think that that is either a poetic work or some writing. Anyway, so the rock from which she leapt has been, has come to be known as uh, Yuim, the Rock of Righteousness. Pretty cool. And that is this week's historical ho, Nanjai. Welcome to the show. Welcome. Thanks for having me. It's kind of funny because, like, I have talked to you 
online for so long now it feels like I feel, yeah <laughs> we've had like an ongoing online dialogue and also I've stolen many of your stories yeah <laughs> that's you, totally fine you have really really good stories <laughs> you're just disseminating all the information we need <laughs> yeah I try I gotta do something with my time this it's especially good this uh corona season yeah <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god i saw like a meme that was like uh time travel traveler like looking back at 2020 like oh and that was the first pandemic yes the first oh, god. <laughs> well i wouldn't be surprised i mean we've had i mean like the world has had pandemics before we have yeah true and there are still creatures carrying around the plague but i've also read that it's not that much of a problem because we have antibiotics and other things, so... I think right. it's not that much of a problem where there are antibiotics yes, easily accessible. that's true. That's very true. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah but yeah. it still exists. It does. There's and squirrels with the plague in a lot of, Colorado. A lot of diseases actually exist in labs, like, under controlled environments that, like, we've supposedly gotten rid of, which I think is interesting, and I'm sort of into conspiracy theories. I don't know. <laughs> I, won't, I won't go on a I tangent I mean, it's, it's, just, <laughs> it's just, like, too many conspiracy theories are real, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Things that seemed like a conspiracy just leak out years later, like, oh, that was true. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Always a surprise. Um, so I wanted to ask you how, like, when did you start getting into meme culture yourself? Because you made croc memes <laughs> i don't make them so much as i steal them gotcha yeah i've like i've dabbled in making memes before but i'm not the best it's an art but i just got really tired of selfies and like sexy pictures oh my god so i was like so i yeah and i love crocs and people always send me croc stuff and it like cheers me up and it makes me happy and i'm like i could really literally just like re-platform into a crocs meme page <laughs> and i don't think anyone would really notice and so that's why i kind of got more into and it's still a way to kind of capture attention and like be like hey there's also this other stuff that i really wanted to talk about going on so right. Yeah. Yeah. Comedy is a great vehicle for like social issues, um, but and also like just general relief of (laughs) emotional things. Yeah. Memes are honestly like keeping me alive right now. I feel like same. So Mm -hmm. very valid. Um, Yeah. Uh, I I like the idea of you just like deplatforming into a Crocs meme. Like, does it? Does this not exist? Like, I just... I want it to exist. I, like, I, like, try... Like, sometimes I search for Crocs memes just because I'm, like, I want to say something, but I don't really want to post a selfie, Mm. so let me find some wholesome content. Um, And there's not... like I mean, there's, like, little pages. It's, like, a niche thing, to be quite honest. So... I, if I were to ever get into memeing, I would niche meme, like, Crocs memes, mm-hmm. niche Crocs memes, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, it's an interesting way to get around the algorithm, too, because, like, as sex workers, like, we're constantly <laughs> being shadow banned and yeah. cut off. I've been deleted. I got deleted before, and ever since then, I just, like, I can't, like, my foolishness has gone down a lot. Mm. I used to, yeah. I've been deleted twice. Oh, um, yeah, once for like more, 
I guess, traditionally, traditionally nudity reasons and once for more like radical reasons. Mm. Yeah. Oh, so, what were the, so, okay. Can you talk about each of those times? Yeah. So a long time ago I was in, um, I've actually been hacked too, which was like a weird story. Um, yeah, it has, it's not like sex work related at all, but, um, it was like pre sex work, but, uh, I, was in Austin and I was just like constant and I was heavily, I used to travel like really constantly. So I used to heavily like promote myself on um, Instagram and it's just like, I went in to go into my Instagram and it was like, Nope. And so I was like, oh, okay, well that sucks really bad. Oh, so wait, you I, were, pro- were you promoting like, um, like stripping things or what were you promoting? Yeah, I was, it was during South by Southwest. So I was, you know, and I was like, putting up lots of pictures and stories of me and my foolishness and my, like, you know, my, my sexy attire. I mean, so. it's so frustrating because it doesn't sound that foolish. It just sounds I like know. branding. Yeah. And like, right. You know, yeah. putting in ads in a place where people see it, like, as opposed exactly. to people not seeing it. <laughs> right. Yeah. I wanted to be seen. So I was like being a little bit more risky with my behavior. And then like, it was really quick though. I got my account back within 24 hours. Mm. So, but I, it was just like a, it was a slap on the wrist and I was like, okay, I understand Ugh. what you're trying to say to me. And Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second time it was, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> the second time when I was just being really vocal, when I, for, when I first started being super vocal about like the anti-blackness in the sex work community, especially in stripping, like um, there was a lot of pushback I received when I first started. And I think that there was like people that were just like reporting old pictures or whatever they were doing. But it was like during a time when I was being really like when I first started um, I, there's a really great Ted talk about it. That's in my link tree about like beyond like bootylicious versus uh, formation Beyonce. Mm. And I think that was like my bootylicious to formation Spencer. Yeah. Like I went from like really palatable light skinned, you know, like, um, white passing racially ambiguous, like stripper to like very pro black militant, heavily like, radical and people were like i liked it better when you were just palatable and (sighs) my account yeah so um it can that's my speculation but after that i kind of like now i kind of play by different rules but i still like i feel like i'm still pretty radical so yeah definitely um yeah i where for you does that like root come from that radical root come from because like it doesn't happen for everybody no it does no (laughs) especially yeah i mean yeah like yeah like you wouldn't have to think about it necessarily um no yeah uh it started when i well i started at a really white strip club and i noticed there they only had one other black stripper there. And like, I noticed the things that people would say about her versus what they would say about me. Um, as like, because I am like light skinned and, you know, I would wear like, I wouldn't wear like natural, like looking hair very often. And when I did, I noticed I didn't make as much money, so I didn't wear it as often. Mm -hmm. So, um, I noticed that. And it's just like, when I started traveling with other strippers, especially with white strippers and seeing like the difference in money compared to the difference in like, not to suck my own dick, but talent, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I'd bring like baby strippers with me and I would be like, wow, that's really weird. And I'm, you know, and I'm like, oh, it comes down to like, 
It just yeah, sometimes yeah. takes a while for you to realize like, oh, this is a race issue. Like, mm-hmm. because it's hard to, like, for me, it's hard to kind of like, because I don't know, I see the best in everyone. And I don't want to see it as a race issue. And, you know, like, I just don't, I, I, I don't live my life like that. Like where I like have, like, I don't think about race until it like is like, oh, it's hurting my feelings. This is about race. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I'm saying? So it's just like, I could, I don't know. It's a protect my own way to protect myself is to like, not think about like, just think about work and going to work. And then I'm like, Oh wait, the, all of these things come into play. All of these things are really important. Like the amount of money that like people make is affected like directly by like their skin color and like their hair texture and, and what they look like. And it's just like, it's a really weird thing. It's, it's like hyper, it's hyper like, focused in stripping especially like it's where you see it you hear it in the locker room you hear it from managers like it's so like when that when it started to become more in my face with money like when it became like a money thing then I was like wait a second because I have yeah I have two kids and I'm like I need to see these babies and like I'm working my ass off bringing some people into the game and this is like this is hurting my feelings but Mm -hmm. this is why and there's nothing that can do there's nothing that you can do to change it but like there was all of these people giving this advice like, oh, this is what you could do with your money. And like, you know, this is how you can come up. I'm like, this doesn't apply to me. Like, it doesn't (laughs) apply to me. Like, it never did. And like, once I started talking about it, like there was a lot of pushback, but then eventually people started to listen. And that's when it became really important. That pushback is so real. Yeah. So I don't know. Did you kind of like start, I mean, have you lived in a black community for most of your life or? Um, not really. Like my family was like military family and I moved to the West coast and lived mostly in Washington. Mm. Um, but my black family lived in Detroit. So I spent like summers with my black family. They like, they were like, they, it was very important to them for me as the biracial child in the family to like experience like black, like excellence and to see Mm. like the great things that black people could do. And like, to like, not just be, they knew I lived in a super white area. So it was super important for the black side of my family to like, make sure that I understood, but I've always been really like passionate about like my blackness. So, because it's just, I grew up with white people and I was Mm. like, but I'm not like you. And I like, (laughs) I like who I, my mom was like pushed that self-love really heavily because she, uh, she was, my mother was white and like understood like life is going to be really difficult for you moving. She lived in Detroit her whole life and we lived in like, like white ass Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. And so she was like, this is what you have to deal with. This is what it's going to be like. So I grew up like, like half and half. Like I got to experience the black culture with my black family, but it was like, half of the time like I was still I still grew up very much embedded in white culture Mm. Mm. did you when did you make the move to you're in Texas now right now right yeah so when did you make that move to the south um when I was 17 I joined the military and I went to South Carolina for basic for AIT I went to Maryland but for my station my duty station I went to Kentucky and it was like the border Kentucky and Tennessee and I've been in the south since 2004 so i moved back up to the pacific northwest for a couple years um but i've been in the south since 2004 so i feel like i've been in the south for most of my life at this point Mm. so is it it's a much different much different what 
what did that transition look like for you coming from like a military background and going into sex work? Uh, being the time frame that I was in the military was like the wild west. It was like 2004 to 2009. So it was a really uh, wild time Iraq in Afghanistan. Yeah, it was like, right. It was like really happening during that time. So for me, I like, I always knew that like, I like, I was an attractive, like racially ambiguous, like feminine presenting. Like I always knew where I stood as far as my looks. So like, I don't know, going from the military, like, I'm like, these men are stupid and I can take them for, and they were stupid and they were willing to give <laughs> me anything. You know what I'm saying? So it, like the transition for me, like in my, in my, with my privilege in the, in the time that I had in, it wasn't a big change because I'm like, I'm used to working with men and I'm used to men underestimating everything about me and <laughs> like that's kind of an it's like a big advantage when men think that you're like stupid like yeah. it really is like because you have the upper hand by being like already like I'm smarter than you already yeah. because you, <laughs> ca you came in here to spend some money so I'm smarter than you already right. um, so, <laughs> like I don't know the transition for me and I've met other like sex workers that are like former military and I just think it's it's because of the way that it's like super rape culture and super toxic masculinity in the military, it's like really empowering to be in a position to be like, no, fuck you, pay me, basically. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's a terrible, I hate that statement, fuck you, pay me, because it's mm -hmm. super privileged also. Mm -hmm. But like, like, I don't know, it's just like, it embodies that whole feeling of like, no, like I'm in control and you have to give me money, so. Mm -hmm. I don't know how other people and also I worked uh, with weapons so I was like explicitly with men and like with the infantry and like it's a job people thought I was a secretary when I was like I'm like that's not a real thing but like what? here I'll fix your weapon for you <laughs> yeah uh, oh it was my God. yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> that constant so. like undermining of like your place there like I mean that's just uh. It would be infuriating to some degree. Yeah, it was. So, but it made, that's what made the transition pretty easy for me is because I already kind of like, I'm like, what else could you really do? Like to make me feel bad about myself? Like, what are you going to do? Like slut shape me? Like that's mm -hmm. the, the, the biggest step you could take the difference between those two like degrading type situations, because there are a lot of men that come in that are simply like trying to like, feel better about themselves by putting themselves in a position of power and like degrading the the people that work there. And I'm mm -hmm. like, you can't really say much to me uh, because I've been, I've, I've been, I've been kicked out of worse place for less. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. What made you decide to join the military? I had no direction. I didn't know how I was going to pay for college i my parents were like you have to pay rent or go to school and i was like i don't know how to do either of those things yeah. <laughs> so i'm gonna join the military and like my my dad had always like he was in the military so he'd always like pushed it so it was mm. kind of like i feel like it was ine inevitable i feel like as the oldest child that was just my parents were like it's easier to push you into the military also so it's just like, uh, yeah, we'll no, unpack totally, that Trump. I totally get that. I mean, like, my <laughs> stepdad is um, military, too. Like, he's retired army. So it's just yeah. like, yeah, I mean, you have enough people in your family that are, like, 
going straight to the military track and they're like it's good for you like you'll get benefits you'll get the gi bill right you'll get mm-hmm. access to like health care you can have access to like the commissary and everything like cheaper right food. it's like you know just- and it's an easy career, to be quite honest. Like, it's written at, like, a seventh grade reading level. So it's really basic to comprehension. And, like, they make you feel like you're really special. But it's re- it's a really simple program. And mm-hmm. it's, like, it's easily accessible. So it, anybody can can really succeed in the military as long as they're, like, you know, listening and doing what they're told. So, yeah. I mean, how do you contend with that now? Like, cause you're, you've clearly like changed a lot over time. And I know like within the dialogue, there is a lot of talk about, you know, the military industrial complex and like yeah. American interventionism and all of that. Like, how do you, you know, relate to your service now and relate to like military service more broadly, like as you've changed and changed careers and life is different, you know? Yeah, uh, it sucks to look back now. It's not, I don't say it's a mistake because when I got out, I got to do like civilian work as like a government contractor and I made really good money. So I got to experience at a young age, like traveling around the world and like making really good money and doing my job. And like, and like you get no praise in the military and you get paid really shitty. So like having the praise and the pay for the same job, it felt really cool. So um, that was great. And I got to experience all those things. But like now looking back, I know it's not it's it's like, I don't know, it's like the only good cops are the ones that quit kind of like thing, Mm -hmm. because like the military are like world police. And they literally tell you that when you're in the military, they're like, we are the world police. And like you get these really (laughs) wild. Yeah. So you get these like wild ideas in your in your head because there's these phrases that are constantly being said, you know, like it's brainwashing and hypnotism Mm -hmm. that like gets you to like act this way Mm -hmm. and to like take on these things because you have to be able to like, you literally have to be able to kill people. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, it's just a factory of bad, bad things. But, Mm -hmm. um, so I don't like, sometimes I, I like feel like, like similar to regret. Like I don't regret it because it got me where I'm at. And like, without experiencing that, I wouldn't have the knowledge that I did about like how, you know, like how it works, you know what I'm saying? There's a lot of misconceptions and like now I know how it works and, you know, I can answer questions and I can help people kind of like address that blind nationalism. Mm -hmm. And so I really like being, and and I also like being like that, like complete juxtaposition between like being like, you know, somebody who's like in Iraq and like serving for your country, quote unquote and whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and now being like, hey, guess what? We live in a fascist police state and <laughs> we should be like looking at how to defund the military and like make our country like better for everybody else except for the military that yeah. we don't need. Like, <laughs> I don't know if you saw like going around. Um, it was it happened a couple weeks ago. I think it happened on on July 4th. And it was like this all countries matter like post. Thing. did you see this no it was so weird so it was confusing to me and i was like i was like i it 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 really it like how i don't know <laughs> all, so what's the rhetoric around it okay so like all countries ma- like it was it okay 
So when anybody says like all something matters, like obviously right. like you're taking from like all lives matter and which yeah. is like derivative like a negative derivative of Black Lives Matter. And it was being reposted by like a lot of black people, which was like very like weird and uh, and like Was it black people and brown people? Was it like brown people trying to no, it was black people. Black people. <laughs> it was black people that I followed really at one confusing. point. Yeah, it was really confusing. Um, and I think someone said it was like a joke or something. But like the way that it was like posed on like a, I don't know, the optics of that, of like posting like all countries matter on July 4th is like trying to like say that like other countries besides America matters. But like the reality is, is that America, like you say, is like, is like, poses itself as like the police of the world of like this hegemony so like i don't know i just wanted other people's like thoughts about that or like if i was like on one because like i mean that's just like been in a hole <laughs> i mean it's like yeah july 4th is some bullshit but it's like not like saying all countries matter like most countries have some celebration day that is like the celebration of their country right. like whatever yeah. that day is so it's just kind of like okay whatever like cool yeah also like america doesn't like why like it is that like that position that like all lives matter people take where like they're decentering like the people that actually matter in that conversation which is like people who are furtherly, fur, further marginalized than Americans. Like, we hold a lot of privilege as Americans to be in this country. Oh, yeah. um, mm-hmm. And not have to, like, worry about, like, militarization of, by other countries in the same way that other people do. So, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, so you're... No, it's fine. You're a parent of two kids. Yes. 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 How old are your kids? They're seven and eleven. Oh gosh, there's big ones. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they're like probably going to college next year. <laughs> no, <laughs> one has it a degree. Really? Yes, it happens really fast. Um, uh, so yeah, I can say that about. It's, that's the weirdest thing about being a parent is it happens really fast. Mm-hmm. What? Um, so when you started dancing, and you still kind of dance, right? I still do. Actually, I'll be in Portland in August, uh, dancing for a couple weeks, oh, just wow. out of accessibility. So, mm-hmm. how yeah. are you? Um, so, what is your primary way that you're staying afloat during quarantine? Um, well, I work in all types of sex work, so I've been using like online. I had one regular customer that was keeping me afloat for a little while, um, but you know how customers are they come and go (laughs) so (laughs) yes absolutely so I've kind of had just like the comings and goings of whatever I've because I had I got into sex work because I needed to take care of my children and I it was very much in a survivor way like I needed money to feed my children Mm -hmm. um so that's like where my hustle kind of based out of so Mm -hmm. it's not it's because I've lived in extreme poverty before COVID is kind of like not new for me Mm -hmm. like it's not like a new it's something that it's like it's new but it's like something that i'm not super stressed because i've been in a stressful position like this before so i've been kind of just doing what i can do and like working all aspects diversifying my portfolio um i've been working on it for a long time also so that's another thing that i have like i'm lucky i'm lucky that i've been working on this 
for a long time. So I have like a customer base that I can kind of pick from in, in times of need, uh, mm. when it's hard. So, uh, a little bit of this, a little bit of that's got me through this. <laughs> <laughs> what does it look like? Or, or I don't know if you've, if it, if you've been stripping during this time, but what is it, what is it looking like it's going to look like at the club or what are the, when you go back? Yeah, what are the places that you've danced at been like during COVID? I haven't, I haven't danced since COVID. I was going, I just moved from, I went from North Carolina to Louisiana to Austin and I was working um, in all of those places, but I hadn't worked in Austin yet because I needed to get my social security card and I'm a procrastinator. So Mm. I just was like, Oh, oh I'll God, get it's it. Such and then a hassle like these. They yeah. Make all of this extra red tape for all of this. It's like I, you may know your number off the top of your right. head. Right. Most uh-huh. only expect you to know that, but they like know we need a right. physical card. Right. Absolutely. So I was just like I procrastinated and I started bartending. So it didn't really. I was like I don't really need to go um, back to that type of sex work um, at this moment. So I didn't really mess with it. And then COVID happened, and I was like, oh, so. I mostly dance in Louisiana, which they're, uh, thankfully the parish that I work out of only had 21 cases mm. the last time I checked, which is probably more at this point, but like, yeah, um, that was last, last month. Um, cause that's where my children are also at, at the moment. Mm. Um, so, uh, it just, it wasn't thinking about it. There wasn't so rough because it's such a small rural, it's like a tiny town. So it's not like it wasn't a big deal, but here in, Austin I'm a little like I'm a little nervous and I'm a little nervous about going to Portland for me just because I have just I'm very anxious about Mm. COVID and it's it's because I want to try to take it as seriously as possible so it just it looks really weird right now it looks really scary but like you know some people have to work and like I'm, I'm one of those people so for me it's just like it's a risk that you have to take is like going back to work but it's really scary that's probably the best way I can describe it but I feel like because of my over anxiousness that I should be like I'm as best prepared as I can be mm-hmm. right no I mean it's so hard like having to make that decision to like work in the face of everything going on like just because you have to especially this kind of like intimate labor that is like you know you might you like you might be grinding on somebody like you might be face to face with somebody where like other kinds of labor it's like oh I'm handing somebody food I like have at least the arms distance or like Mm -hmm. like, those the plastic the plexiglass barriers right exactly it's not necessarily like there's gonna be a plexiglass barrier around a stage or that like employers would like even care to do that for their employees yeah Um, yeah it's just interesting like some of these clubs are are handling this differently like at the clubs that you've seen or have you like looked into the portland clubs i have i went to um and both of the clubs that i would like would work for i like the owners like happen to take good care of their like their dancers so mm-hmm. that's another thing about like and i and i've traveled a lot to be able to find these places so like i'm really lucky to have that opportunity to be able to like have found these spots mm-hmm. however um 
I forgot what the question was. Um, I was going to just ask you, like, so does it... Oh, what does it look like? Mm -hmm. I went to a strip club in Portland Mm -hmm. because I really wanted to support... I didn't have the time to go to a stripper strike, and I just wanted to go pop in, find a black sex worker, give them all of the cash that I had on hand, and, like, have a drink and leave type Mm -hmm. of thing, which I did. Um, Dream On Saloon, by the way, is a really good place for uh, dancers of color, specifically black dancers in Portland. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I had to go to a couple places to find, uh, you know, and like, it's not the safest thing to do. However, I'm literally like popping my head in kind of like thing to do, um, mm-hmm. before I found what I needed to, but they're only open till 10. They have plexiglass for the bartenders. There weren't that many people in the strip club there. Everybody wore masks. It's a different environment. Um, but Are like the dancers I, wearing masks. Yes, yes, absolutely. And so were the customers, which I was really thankful for, even when they were outside, um, because I smoke cigarettes sometimes, and I went outside for a cigarette, and people were still wearing their masks. The people who weren't smoking were still wearing their masks. So, like, everybody had good etiquette. Mm -hmm. I think it's also, it depends on where you go. Like, that's like a a single, that's like a one, that's my experience, Mm -hmm. so I can't speak to, but it was, it wasn't that bad at either place that I went to. Were they dances, or was it just stage? I... I honestly didn't ask. I was just like, here's my money because I get bamboozled just as well. I'm like, here you go. You guys are doing so great. (laughs) You deserve this. (laughs) I know. And it's also like it's a desperate moment, you know, like people are really going to latch on to anybody who's like putting money, you know, who's like Mm -hmm. giving away Mm -hmm. money like that. So, yeah. And I try to make it like make everything easy because I am like also a stripper. So I understand Mm -hmm. how it feels like you do latch on to that money. And I'm like, this is what I have. This is what I'm doing. Like, this is. Like, this is it. Like, this is all the whole shebang. So I wanted to make, so I didn't really know. I didn't really get, I didn't ask them about how their day was or anything. I didn't want to waste their time. I just kind of gave them money and and left them alone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, it's like you need to gather some intel with it. You know, like if you're going to go in and you want to make sure that it's a safe place, but it's like you also don't want to waste your stripper's time. Right. I know in Louisiana, they're not doing lap dances. Um, and in Portland, I think they're still doing lap dances, but don't hmm. quote me on that right at this moment. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's, too, <laughs> it's so confusing. I mean, like, as an out-of-work stripper, it's like, I'm really curious about all of the ways that clubs are opening right now. But yeah. it's just like, I don't know, it's so... Here in Texas, the clubs are closed. Uh, the strip clubs the titty bars the titty bars are closed so the bars that serve alcohol only allow topless but Mm -hmm. the byob strip clubs are still open Hmm. so yeah and i'm not sure i do have a couple friends that work there but they're they're not working right now so i'm not Mm -hmm. sure how that's going so i'm i'm like thirsty for knowledge also like i'm trying to gain as much information as i can it's like i don't know i love working i love being a stripper but also like i'm really scared to go to the strip club right now just because it's right. it's such a fucking breeding ground for just gross shit to begin with like even before covid yes. people oh, were yeah. always up to nasty stuff like just coughing into things or just like eating and touching everything and they're like feet feet are a thing um you know my clients have definitely requested i and other people pee on them and that has definitely happened like right. there's just a lot of just passing, you know, fluids. bacteria and fluids back and <laughs> yes, forth. Yes, like absolutely. A lot of closeness. Just, like 
very close face-to-face contact, all of that. So uh-huh. it's like, you know, I mean, strippers, we pass things along so fast because it's an intimate yeah. community. <laughs> and we're rolling around in each other's sweat yes, on the floor. On the it's like, it's, yes. it's very messy. And we're just always up in each other's business too, just like mm-hmm. fixing hair, <laughs> it's true. cutting tampons, sharing makeup, like. Right. So it's, it's hard to control that you know like the culture is not like that right now. right fortunately for portland um i worked in portland a lot that's probably one of the places i've worked the most um and well at least the most consistently and for the most part because there's so many strip clubs there's usually not like to have like 14 dancers is like a Saturday night. You know what mm. I'm saying? Like most of the time they have like seven dancers mm. is about the average. That's so you're not, not yeah, it's not like working in like Texas where you have like a hundred dancers in the locker room at the same time. Yeah. Or other places like, um, it's really like, it's really mild. And I like that about Portland is that you can find these smaller clubs and that's where I'll be at is a smaller club. So that's another reason why I'm kind of like, okay with going here to work, uh, just, spend my time but Mm -hmm. uh i wouldn't go back that's why i'm not working here in austin is because i can't like i i just can't find it within myself to go into a super big club like Mm -hmm. that and like bless all of my friends that are working right now and i hope they continue to make money but i can't do it Mm -hmm. whenever you um get back to have time with your kids will you like quarantine before and all of that uh yeah i've traveled i every time i've traveled i've quarantine for my 14 days I like make sure that my trip is long enough to like well it's not like I've traveled a lot I've gone Mm -hmm. like one place but um to visit family but um I like I will be quarantining because I have to but I'm gonna see them before I leave Mm -hmm. so I won't have to quarantine after that's good I mean but that's also just like an immense burden too for you it's like you know being safe and facilitating safeness for everybody around you and trying to make it work it's just um, well, I'm a loner, to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't hang out with anybody. I smoke a lot of weed. Mm-hmm. And I like, that's why I like sex work is because I can work by myself. So mm-hmm. I, I, it's not super hard, like quarantining, because I live in my tiny space with my fiance. And that's the only person that I really interact with when I'm not on the internet. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's, I, I'm an exception to some yeah. rules, just that in that way. But it work it works out for me because I am like, so antisocial. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't mean it as like on you. I mean it like just in this this fact that, you know, like Americans across the country are forced into this same situation of like all of this choosing and budgeting time and setting aside time and scheduling to be away from family and like all right. of this unnecessary mm-hmm. shit that like we we could have handled this. We could have handled this months ago. We could ago. have handled this a lot sooner and a lot better. And then we wouldn't have this, like, you know, this burden upon all of us as individuals, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we definitely could have dealt with this a lot better. It seems a little, it's really strange to, like, wake up in the morning and realize that this is how we're living life right now. And, like, and you guys are in California, right? That's where, like, it's it's getting real wild out there. And I'm, like, very, it's it's concerning. I can't. I try not to look at the news too much, but I have to because you have to right, right. now. There's yeah. like, yeah. it's, it's really, it's kind of irresponsible to not look at the news at this point in time. So 
it's yeah it's really weird to think that this is where we're at right now in 2020 after especially because it was like everyone was like whoa 2020 yeah hot girl summer <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah not a hot girl summer <laughs> no no no, no. <laughs> yeah not at all stay inside please summer yeah. <laughs> but speaking of, like speaking of though fucking poor megan shit this whole honestly life. oh my gosh we love megan in this house first of all mm-hmm. and i love I love her because I love nasty sluttiness. Like, and mm-hmm. I love when I love Lil Kim. I love when black women are shamelessly sexual, like, mm-hmm. because it's like, it's just, there's so much negativity wrapped around like the sexuality of a black woman. So mm-hmm. for somebody like so young and beautiful and powerful and she's tall, like I would, I would gladly be her ottoman. Like honestly, <laughs> anything to be useful. I would do her laundry. I would wash her dishes. Like I would be so useful for her uh, um, because she just queen, deserves the best. Megan. She's like, yeah, like we need, like we needed Megan to influence the world because she's like a dark skinned, very tall. And like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yes. it's just like, if it, it was necessary, like she, we needed to listen to Megan and, I, my heart is with her in this whole situation. That's another wild thing too, is like, she's the sweet angel. I would have never imagined that Mm -hmm. she would get shot multiple times, but like, also like, are we really surprised because this is what happens in the world? Right. Exactly. Like a lot of really (laughs) amazing artists, really great minds, really, you know, important people (laughs) to the world have been shot and or killed. I'm just happy mm-hmm. she's alive in a way, like yes, because we've lost so many people. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I don't know. It's like it's so tragic, and it's like really fucked up the way that people are like joking about it already and shit like that. Yeah, that's awful. And unfortunately, I've seen a lot of that like come from like black men. Black men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's so the anti-blackness that like lives inside of so many like black people but specifically like black men is it's it's really difficult to like mm, it's really difficult to let it that sit in your body at all oh yeah i don't know if you follow there's a instagram called darkest hue i think mm. yes and i love them especially how much they're putting out about colorism because like I don't know. It's it's a unique experience to be biracial, but also it's just like people need to stop with their fascination yeah. and really listen to like darker skinned people. Yes. It's it, I, I I really enjoy the conversations that they are starting because like they're talking about like exotification of like mm-hmm. of mixed children. They're talking about like the colorism that exists within the black community. They're mm-hmm. talking about like. Uh, it it gives me so much like relief to like see that like somebody I don't know it's like someone's uh, fleshing it out somebody yes and that like I'm I don't know I don't know about you both but like it's like you have all these things that you experience throughout your life and like you are constantly questioning yourself whether or not those things are actually happening whether those things are actually detrimental to you you've been like gaslit so much about those experiences that like when you see somebody else like put it all into like a neat little box, it's like, oh, mm-hmm. oh, wow, bless. Yeah. <laughs> like, it I must be me. especially validating for you as a darker skinned like person. Like yeah. for me, it's like, yeah, for me, it's not so much. It's just like a little bit of, I like, it's, 
it's a different, it hits a different way, yeah. but like, it has to be like, it, if it's validating for me, it has to be validating for like darker skinned individuals. Yeah, definitely. So I'm glad that information is being proliferated. Also like yeah. the, the, con- I don't know, it reminds me a little bit. So when I first found you and we're going to like start wrapping up, but when I first found okay. you, you would like, you you would talk directly to people who were being like anti-black and like who were like <laughs> doing fuck shit on the internet and it, and it was really like helpful for me to see that happening because like first off it was very validating um and uh but also like it was it was like empowering you know like to see like another black non-binary like femme on the internet like doing that work on a like just just so confidently and like so unabashed and just like fuck y'all like I get to like (laughs) exist (laughs) um and like I'm gonna talk back like talking back especially like being told as like a little kid like don't talk back like seeing Mm -hmm. you talk back to like the fuck shit was like so nice and I just wanted to like appreciate that real quick my heart thank you so much i didn't know that i like had that impact and that makes me like i'm like yeah it's making me cry (laughs) (laughs) yeah keep that heat um Um, but yeah um do you have places you want to plug or like where you're going to be when you go to portland or any um like what is it cash what, what app, social venmo. media do you want to plug and what's your cash app and venmo and other digital oh, wallet details my instagram is grim kardashian which is my old roller derby name it just kind of stuck just in case anybody is wondering i always um, loved that name i was like this is really funny <laughs> and i did yeah, I was, from derby so that's even better <laughs> right and uh all of my uh, links are in my link in my bio if anyone cares I, I just like uh, my my what's it called cash app is probably groceries it's the easiest thing to remember um, wait how do you and spell then, it and, and is there it's like the dollar sign and then oh dollar sign and then just probably groceries like probably groceries I can't spell okay <laughs> P-R-O-B-A-B-L-Y G-R-O-C-E-R-I-E-S C-I-E. Oh my gosh, the talent. Uh, I don't think he spoke something. G R O C C E R I E. Is that how you spell groceries? I don't know how to spell either. See, that's what I'm saying. Google it. Look them up. It'll be in the fucking bio, you guys. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And honestly, like, just if anybody could do anything, take a look at my follower, like the people that I follow. I like follow a lot of like really great like black women and like black resources and things like that. Whenever anyone asks me to follow, I say follow who I'm following because I've done a lot of like I curated who I follow. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it took a long time to get there, but like I made sure that it's like a diverse group of people so that I don't get stuck in like a just like really bad feedback loop on the Internet. So Ugh, make sure to brutal. check out like, yeah. Make sure to check out the people. I follow some cool people, um, you two included. So, uh, yeah, definitely check that out. And, like, if you – because I get a lot of my information from the people that I follow, too. Mm -hmm. So if you want to, like, you know, be like me and learn, then you got to learn from the people that learn from who they learn from. And learning is a journey. 
Yeah, it's not a destination. Mm. You guys, I'm like, I'm huge fans of you two and like the things that you do and say. So like, I'm very honored to be here and I really appreciate you having me today. Oh, thank you. We're so happy to have you. And I'm so glad to meet you kind of IRL. It was like video. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. This is really nice. Okay. Uh, this is a beautiful reunion or meeting. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, this sleepy, is great. Sleepy Selena. Right. Sleepy. Sleepy Corey. <laughs> I, just have, I sleepy haven't been Spencer. sleeping, y'all. It just ha- it's yeah. hard sometimes. It is. I had a heavy week of like hiking and horseback riding and I smoked oh. the marijuana. So oh, I yeah. feel you. That's yeah. so nice. Uh, yeah. Oh, wait, do you do do y'all have any sex work stories to share before we go? Sex work stories. Maybe I don't know. You do go. You go. I don't know. I have so many. I don't know. That would like I'll if there's ever another time I'm back here, I will come back with a well-prepared, like, sex work story. How about that? <laughs> Sounds good to me. Yeah. Uh, a sex work story. Um, no, I don't have one right now. There will be one There will be one next time, though, for sure. Uh, I've just... Okay, I'm just going to update everybody on my latest Gemini Ketamine Man uh, oh. stuff. Oh, yeah, it's just been interesting because I've like become his escort girlfriend, I su- essentially. Like, nice. Yeah, and I just don't. I mean, it's so weird uh, hanging with certain kinds of white people, particularly the white people that can afford my time right now. Because um, mm-hmm. I am just like amazed by how incredibly well off and privileged his whole family is. <laughs> that's a nice feeling though because you get to benefit off of it that's very true that is very true like we had a conversation where he was like whenever i win you win and i I felt like it was a very uncut gems moment like i don't know if you've seen the movie or anybody um listening to this has but if you haven't maybe go see it because there's actually a pretty good storyline with like a sugar baby relationship Hmm. nice i'll look it up yeah, definitely. Um, it's like the movie with like Adam Sandler and like uh, it's an indie film. But anyway, <laughs> so like the 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 lead person in it, Howie, who is played by Adam Sandler, has a, a terrible, crippling gambling addiction, and he gambles on everything mm-hmm. and gambles his whole life essentially away and puts his himself in danger and his family in danger and all of that. Um, but there's just the whole, like, him, whenever he won, his sugar baby would win. And I just feel like that's kind of my life right now. Mm. My, nice. My customer is, like, essentially betting on coronavirus. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and so whenever coronavirus wins and America does something dumb, we both win. And it's, and it's a really terrifying, like, loop in a way, but also, yeah. like... I am a black sex worker benefiting from this equation. And right. so it's, yeah, it there's many mix layers. of feelings. Yeah. There. A whole mix of feelings. It's a lot of layers. It's a yeah. lot of layers. But, uh, well, I'm Shrek. glad you're winning. Well, thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, okay. And now it's time for a quick commercial break. Oh, I am a white man and I don't respect you. You got to earn my respect. You only got here because of affirmative action. I miss the olden days when people were respectful and nothing bad ever happened. Are you tired of dealing with white men? 
Do you feel like you're banging your head against the wall, having to recount the history they should have learned in school? Does your national flag feel like a hate symbol? It's time to consider becoming a domestic terrorist. I know it sounds extreme. It is extremism at its core. But if white men have proven anything, it's that there is a place for domestic terrorism in Western society. We all know Dylan Roof and Brenton Tarrant. Why do white men get to have all the fun destroying our lives? It's time for a black lady terror cell. Make terrorism great again by using it to overthrow our corrupt system. The US wants to install puppet dictatorships in the Middle East? Let's install puppet socialists in the White House. France continuing to colonize African countries? How about we drop Macron and replace him with some Fanon touting radical leadership? The Aussie government genociding away First Nation people? Time to end civil conversation and instead switch to civil war. Terrorism doesn't have to be all that bad. Let's turn terror into terrific today. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much for of coming course. on. Of um, Thank you for having me. You can follow me at the goddess Corey. All my links are in my link tree. I just put out um, like a bunch of mixes. It's really weird. I went in a hole. I'm off of the internet right now, sort of. Uh, but I made music kind of i liked your music Thank i you. liked it awesome. that was some jams so. nice like atmospheric stuff yeah i i curate music for elevators that's what i how i think of the music that i make okay <laughs> like, yes. i just want elevator music i'm very into like vaporwave but that's separate anyway I feel that too. <laughs> oh, vaporwave is elevator music yes and that's you. fine and i like it too <laughs> but yeah um i'm selena the stripper you can follow me on instagram at pretty boy girl you can follow this project ho in the know at ho in the know spelled like hukes in the nukes as i like to say <laughs> h-e-a-u-x in the k-n-e-a-u-x um you can support me on patreon at the real pretty boy girl where you can read stories about me escorting my kem and i woo, woo, gemini ketamine man kem and i <laughs> <laughs> stories uh i am going to be doing an intro to this book uh that i Corey has a section in yeah how to build a um, hooker's army yes yeah that is coming up and i'm uh, gonna promote the shoot out of that book definitely um oh yeah and uh aside from that um yes also tantra sessions it's coming up i've talked about it yes it's, it's i have a tab in my browser that's full of writing on it and um yes so cannot wait to get into that and yeah, so this has been an episode of How in the Know. Have a great one, guys. Bye-bye. See you later. Goodbye. <laughs> more money. I want your money. I want more money. 